Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that Christ was willing to humble himself and become obedient. Obedient to die, even a death on the cross. And we know that he came from the dead. He arose victorious. And his name, or at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess. Those of us who are believers have already done that. Humbled ourselves, confessed that we are sinful, stand in need of a Savior. And be our desire, Father, to live in sensitivity to Christ. And as we share and interact with several portions of Scripture tonight, we want to be applying what we hear in Christ's name. Amen. Been discussing idols for a number of weeks. I've been giving a few definitions of idols. There's no one definition, but one definition would be the choice to make a good thing or a good person a supreme thing or person, thus taking priority over love for God and Christ alone. Taking a good thing or a good person and placing it above love for God and love for Christ. Another one, if you're willing to sin to obtain your goal, or if you sin when you don't get what you want, then what you desire is taking God's place, and you're a functioning idolater. Comment, Ray. Oh, just looking up here reading, okay. That's fine. <laughs> and again, just some thoughts as it relates to idols. A quote. Whenever you shift your trust from your Savior to other people, get ready for desert times. Get ready to be parched, disillusioned, and disappointed. Notice the word trust when you shift your trust. We are to trust God, and we can trust other people, but our ultimate security is in Christ and in God. And sometimes we look away from the Lord, and we look to people, and they're not perfect. They won't always respond correctly. We discussed a bedrock fact. Discontentment with God, his authority, structure, his provision, his promises, his timing, his pattern, plan, or Christ alone, or scripture, is at the root of all idolatry. When we move towards discontentment, we're moving away from God, moving to allow something to take the place of God. A secondary fact, all humans are born idolaters. We don't like to admit that, do we? You know, that little baby that a person or a parent may hold or a grandparent may hold. An idolater. Maybe not by choice, but they're by sinful nature and they will move in that direction. That's why Proverbs talks about 
you know, the importance of teaching and training children. In one place, Solomon says, you know, the rod of correction will drive foolishness, you know, from a child. Also, a secondary fact, the enemies, as we discussed several weeks ago, we face as believers, within and without, are idolatrous to the core. Now, tonight we want to devote some time to what I will just simply call words of counsel concerning idolatry. And this comes in view of Genesis 3 and probably Matthew 4. First of all, glory in Christ. Glory in Christ 24-7. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Paul is writing to the believers in Colossae, and they were facing some incorrect teaching. They come to a faith in Christ. They're being tempted to add Christ to a number of other things. And in chapter 3, in verse 1, after two chapters of Christ and what we have in Christ, he says, Since then you've been raised with Christ. When Christ came from the dead, we also came from the dead. Set your hopes on the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The fact that he is seated, his work is done, plan of salvation is complete. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. That is, when Christ died, we died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Ties in security. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then will you also appear with him in glory. Christ, who is our life. Beloved, we can't live the Christian life. We can't. Christ is our life. And he goes on then to put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the earthly nature, and he mentions a number of items. And then in verse 12, therefore, is God's chosen People, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, and so on. Glory in Christ. He's your life. Look also at Colossians 1 and verse 15. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have always fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Glory in Christ. Image of the invisible God. He's a creator. He holds all things together. It's through Christ that we've been reconciled to God. Look also at chapter 2 of Colossians and verse 1. I want to know I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally, 
My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Look at chapter 2 and verse 9. For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And you've been given fullness in Christ, who's the head over every power and authority. In Christ, all the fullness of deity lived, and we have been given fullness. We've been filled full. We have completeness in Christ. Every spiritual blessing that we need to live in sensitivity to God 24-7 is in Christ. So whether you're pounding a nail, paying for some, some... Things at the store, or driving your car, or yelling at your family, you have completeness in Christ. You have fullness in Christ. Glory in Him. See, as we glory in Christ, the issues of idols tend to fall by the wayside. Go back two books earlier in the Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. In chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul talks about being in Christ. And in Ephesians 1 and verse 3, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. If you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing, can you be blessed with any more? You can't. You have them all. The believer in Christ has been blessed with every spiritual blessing. We have them. And he goes on to explain them in chapter 1. We're going to be presented to God holy and blameless. We've been predestined to be adopted as his sons. We have redemption. We have forgiveness and so on. Glory in Christ and in Christ alone. Look at chapter 3 of Ephesians and verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Someone hurts you, and you know the Bible calls you to forgive, and you say, but God, I don't want to forgive. I know you don't want to forgive, but in Christ, there's a power that is at work in you beyond what you can ask or imagine. You can choose to forgive. God, I'm afraid to Talk to that person about Christ. Well, there's a power at work in you beyond what you can ask or imagine. God, isn't there more to life than just going to work every day and relating to my family and going to school? I'm tired of it, Lord. 
There's a power at work in you beyond what you can ask or imagine. God, that thing over there looks so attractive. Can I buy it? You know, it'll bring some satisfaction and contentment. He says, no, it won't bring contentment. It might not be wrong in and of itself, but it won't bring contentment. Only Christ can do that. Glory in Christ. He's your life. He alone can satisfy. No one, no thing in this world can satisfy. Ruth Ann got married to me and she thought all her aches and pains were over. She found the perfect guy. She could be totally content in me and she found out otherwise. I try to be a godly husband and glory in Christ, but she finds that I'm not quite Perfect. Maybe 10%. <laughs> That's beside the point. Christ alone can satisfy. How many of us thought, if I get this relationship with this person, life will really be good? It may be better, but the person can't satisfy fully. Well, if I get this thing or I get this job, if I have a little more money, I'll be content. Maybe for a little while, but a very short period of time. Christ alone can satisfy. Meditate much upon your position in Christ. You say, what do you mean position in Christ? What you have in Christ. Been blessed with every spiritual blessing. You have fullness in Christ. You have forgiveness. You have redemption. Years ago, I made a list of all that I have in Christ. Ephesians is just loaded with in Christ, in Christ. And you see that appear in the bulletin often, quite often, you know, what we have in Christ. Just meditate upon it because it makes other things fall into correct perspective. So you can enjoy things, you can enjoy money, you can enjoy people rather than seeking contentment in them. See, when you seek contentment in them, you can't enjoy them, they own you. But if you're finding and seeking to meditate on who you are in Christ, you're glorying in Him, then you can use that money that the Lord allows you to have and you get a nice vehicle, you, you can use it, it doesn't have to own you. Glory in Christ. Tied in with glory in Christ. Relationship comes before action, obedience, living worthy, and sacrifice. Now look at Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 1, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Basically, Paul is saying, get with the program, live worthy of the calling. And then he says, be humble, gentle, patient. And he goes through a bunch of other things. But before you get to chapter 4 and verse 1, you had chapters 1, 2, and 3. And chapters 1, 2, and 3 were about the relationship that we have with God, we have with Christ, and we have the Spirit of God living within us. 
So often, we're tempted to focus on the do. Am I doing enough? What action should I take? Always focus on the relationship you have with God, with Christ, and with the Holy Spirit. Our world at large and much of Christianity focuses on the do. How many of us have beat up on ourselves because we're not doing enough? And Paul says, before you get to the do, get to the relationship. Pastors and churches stay a short time. The average pastor's stay in a church in in the U.S. is somewhere between two and five years. That's sad. Why? Because there's not a relationship between the pastor and people established. So when the pastor stands up and preaches and he's encouraging people to respond to God, oh, does this guy really care for me or doesn't he? You know, the last guy left after three years, and this guy will probably leave after three years to find something bigger and better. And we tend to think the same way about God. How about the business world? You have an employer and an employee. The employer says, you give me what I want, and I'll give you what you want. You give me good work, and I'll give you some money. But many times there's no relationship. I'm not knocking it. That's just reality. In the government, the government says, give me your taxes and I'll give you some of the things that you might want. But there's no relationship. In school, and I think it's going more and more this way from what I hear from teachers, that teachers and students, in some respects, are not encouraged to have a deep relationship. You're here to learn. Families many times, are more concerned about the do than about the relationship. In Scripture, God begins with the relationship. In light of the relationship, then do. See, there's a big, big difference between merely doing and then having... Contrast that with a relationship, and you do in response. Obedience and action that comes from a relationship is much different than obedience that just comes. See, our walk with God is to be one of desire, not a have to. One of delight and a want to. God desires the same in the parent-child relationship. So someone says to uh, JT, do you have to obey your mom and dad? No, I don't have to obey my mom and dad. You don't? No. What do you mean you don't have to obey mom and dad? I want to. I delight in obeying mom and dad because I know they care for me. That is much different than, oh, I've got to obey mom and dad. If I don't obey mom and dad, I really get in trouble. See, as we're glorying in Christ alone in our day-by-day living, 
the whole issue of idols, they look so shallow and meaningless in contrast to Christ. Because there's delight, a growing delight. I'm not saying it happens overnight, but a growing delight, a growing desire. I better love my wife because if I don't love my wife, you know, I won't look very good as a pastor and my kids might not turn out quite right. That's much different than saying, I want to delight in my wife. I desire to love her. See, Christ is not a fix or a cure-all, but the grace to tunnel through life. Remember, we live in a broken, fallen world. Ah, come to Christ, and your life is going to be a piece of cake with stones in it. You might break your teeth. Let's tell them the whole story. Come to Christ. He'll enable you to tunnel through life because of the grace that he gives. It's going to be tough. There may be some rejection You're going to have some relational struggles. And if you thought you had problems before, you might have more after you come to Christ because now you're living contrary to the world. But Christ will provide what you need. Isn't that kind of what Paul meant in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when he prayed about the thorn in the flesh? Okay, Lord, remove this. And after three times, the Lord said, no, I'm not going to remove it. My grace is sufficient. Oh, you're going to have this thorn in the flesh. Or in Philippians 4, 4 through 8, I won't quote the whole passage, but Paul basically says, rejoice in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, uh, don't be anxious about things. You know, talk to God. In Christ is not a fix or a cure-all, but the grace to tunnel through life. We live in a broken world. We will have problems. We will have difficulties. We'll be tempted to be sucked away from Christ and Christ alone. We'll be tempted to be pulled into idols. But glory in Christ. That requires choices to think in a godly way. If we are seeking to glory in Christ, idolatry will not be a major issue. The lure of idolatry, things, people, power, possessions, money, status, will rarely be in our radar. Christ in us is so great. My father-in-law, I don't know how the conversation came up a couple times about him and Martha. And jokingly, I don't know how it was said again, something to the effect, well, maybe you ought to trade Martha and get a new wife, you know. And he said, no, I have too much invested in her. (laughs) There was a relationship 
But there was rocks along the way sometimes, but a relationship. Christ has invested in us. We have invested in Him. We have trusted Him. Glory in Him. Next Sunday morning, we'll talk in relation to Christmas, we'll talk some about Christ. But we need to be very careful that we live and we present Christ in such a way that we're dealing with a relationship and not escaping hell and going to heaven. It's a big, big difference. Because if all we're doing in salvation is escaping hell and going to heaven, Christianity is no different than the religions of the world. It's a relationship. Come into a relationship with God, with Christ, with the Holy Spirit. So, very critical. Any comments before we go on to something else for a few moments? Okay, second item in relation to the whole issue of counsel concerning idols or idolatry. Know, live 24-7 God's pattern for authority. I list Genesis 1 and 2, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6.20, Romans 13, 1 through 7, Hebrews 13, 7 and 17. The whole issue of God's pattern for authority is a major thing in idol worship. What is God's pattern for authority? Marriage. We have God. We have Christ. We have the wife. I'm sorry, God, Christ, husband, and then a wife, the wife. The husband is under God and Christ's authority, accountable to God and to Christ for loving his wife and for leading his wife. The wife is accountable for following her husband's leadership. I don't know about you, if you're a husband, you've ever said to God, God, you just don't make much sense. I know what you say, but it doesn't make sense in this circumstance. And a wife will say, husband, I just don't quite follow you. You don't make much sense. She's accountable for following his leadership. As the husband is accountable for following God and Christ's leadership. Make a statement, and you can think about it this week. A husband and wife who do not follow their God-ordained authorities are setting their children up for being followers of idols. Because if I, as a husband, do not follow God's authority over me to love my wife, no matter what she does, love her as Christ loved the church and care for her and develop her and nurture her, I'm resisting God's authority. And I threw my life down saying to my children, resist God's authority. Resist my authority as a father. If Ruth Ann says, this Dan business, he just don't got his act together, he's not quite where he should be, he's imperfect, he's got this flaw and he's got that, and I just don't like this. 
Children will say, well, mom doesn't follow dad and dad doesn't follow Christ. So why should I listen to mom and dad? Setting them up to move towards idols. There's another pattern of authority after marriage, and that is parent and children, parents and children. You have a father and a mother responsible for teaching, training their children, and children have the primary responsibility of obedience to mom and dad. It's God's pattern. You say, what else are kids supposed to do? Obey mom and dad. But remember, mom and dad are under God's authority. They're responsible for teaching, training their children, and bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If they're not doing that, then their children will be tempted to follow idols. Oh, mom and dad, you have it so easy. You don't have to listen to anyone. We're giving account to God for how we bring you up. You're just giving an account to us. I'm not belittling that. But that's God's pattern for authority. You have a home where God's pattern for authority between parents and children is neglected. You're setting up a church and a community for idolatry. Because you're resisting God's pattern. You say, but I don't always like what my mom and dad tell me to do. Unless they're asking you to do something contrary to Scripture, obey. But we often stop with the kids. How about dad and mom? Kids disobey. You told them once, you told them twice, you told them a third time, and you know the temperature inside of you is rising. And God says, You as a father and as a mother, don't say one cutting word to your children. Ephesians 4. You say, But God, you don't know what they're like. Yes, I do. I deal with you all the time. God, submit to my authority and use building words in relating to your children if you want your children to follow you and obey you. See, that's all tied in with idols. We struggle with that. God, I can't yell at my kids. You're supposed to use building words with your kids. God, I mean what I said in my word, but God, you want to argue with me? It's your choice, but you know, my standard don't change. I can't, God. I know you can't. That's why you need to glory in Christ. That's why Christ is your life. That's why there's a power at work in you beyond what you can ask or imagine. So come to me and say, I'm ready to yell at my kids. I know I'm not supposed to. <laughs> I need your help. Now we're in a different ballgame. But God, I just yelled at him. Well then, take my grace 
and be a man or woman and admit to them that you were wrong in yelling and ask their forgiveness. So when they yell at you, you'll have an example to follow. It's all issue of authority. Genesis 1, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, 20, Romans 13, Hebrews 13, 7 through 17. We struggle with that. At least I do. (laughs) And we blow it. That's where we come back to God's grace. To say, God, I blew it again. He says, I know. But in grace, I will forgive. And I'll try to keep you sensitive next time. Just respond. But it all goes back to authority. A husband, a father, submissive to God's authority. A wife, submissive to husband's authority. Children, submissive to parents' authority. And parents, submissive to God's authority. Very critical just in the whole issue of idol worship. I'll close with a Example. A husband who is loving his wife. Let me step back and start over. A husband who is seeking to love his wife as Christ loves the church will tend to have, not always, but tend to have a wife who is not seeking outside of her husband. And a wife who is seeking to follow her husband's leadership will tend to have a husband who is not seeking outside of his wife. I said 10. People still make choices. I understand that. But stop and think about that in the parent-child relationship. Why would children whose parents love them and are seeking to train and instruct them and speak building words to develop them. And when they do respond incorrectly, they seek their children's forgiveness. Why would those children want to look elsewhere than to mom and dad? Sometimes they do. They're still battling with a sinful nature. But at least the parents have done their part. Why would a parent, or why would parents whose children are seeking to be responsive to them and seeking to obey want to trade their children in on someone else and say, boy, I wish I had a different kid? See, as we obey God and God's authority, we pull people away from idols and at least point them to Christ. None of us arrive. We struggle in the whole issue of authority, and we'll touch a little more on that next week. Just seek to know and live God's pattern for authority. It makes a world of difference. And when we struggle, think back to God's grace and say, God, I need help. And when we blow it, go to back to God's grace and ask for forgiveness and pick up and go on. I would hate to keep a record of how many times I've had to go 
either to Ruth and or the kids or some other people and just say, I was wrong, will you forgive me? <laughs> Glory in Christ. Any comments before we pray together? Let's pray. Father, we struggle with being pulled away from Christ and Christ alone. We struggle with being pulled away from what you say in your word concerning authority. And I think all of us can list far too many times of how we may have blown along the way. We thank you that in Christ we do have forgiveness. We remain secure in Christ and we want to be sensitive to Christ at work in us. May we not focus on how often we fail, but focus on being sensitive to Christ, just renewing our minds and as we are in school or we're on the job or we're relating to our families, seeking to renew our minds to think correctly and let your spirit produce his fruit in our lives. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.